So when I first came here, though, I just spoke Gujarati mm-hmm. um, and no English, like whatsoever. This is Van Collar. My name is Mo Amir, and today on This is Van Color, I'm joined by a kindergarten teacher, a life and mindset coach for children, a speaker, and an author from Burnaby, British Columbia. She completed her Master of Arts in Education from the University of Nottingham and her Master of Arts in Elementary Education and Teaching at the University of British Columbia. She's currently finishing her PhD in Early Childhood Education at Concordia University, Chicago. She is the founder of Thrive Kids, a life and mindset coaching program, and she's a teacher in the Delta School District. Her children's book, Back Home, published by Brandy Lane Publishers, was launched last month in July, and you may recognize her from the front page of the Vancouver Sun and from a feature on CTV Morning Live. She is Shaista Kaba Fateali. Shaista... How are you? I'm really great. Thank you so much for having me here today. My pleasure. It's nice to see you. Congratulations on the launch of your children's book, Back Home. Thank you. It's really been blowing up across the country. I've seen coverage from, obviously, Vancouver, but Toronto as well, and Mm -hmm. Calgary. Yeah, yeah. There's been lots of coverage throughout the country and um, a lot of interest from um, local schools, local libraries, um, all across. So it's been really, really great to have all that feedback. That's so good to hear because when I read your story on the front page of the Vancouver Sun, it spoke to me because somewhat of a long time ago, I was five years old. My parents had immigrated to Canada a few months prior and I found myself in a brand new school in kindergarten. Mm-hmm. And you're a kindergarten teacher. So I'm curious, you know, as an educator, especially as we're looking forward to September, what's the feeling that you get from the students on their first day of school? And I'm thinking about all students and then also immigrant children. Mm-hmm. So from what I've seen over the past few years, there's definitely been an increase in anxiety amongst all the kids. Interestingly enough, even the youngest of our kids, so our four-year-olds, really do come in with um, a heightened sense of um, anxiety. But with that is also a real heightened sense of wonder and curiosity. Okay. So I think really it's up to us as educators, as teachers, as parents to really hone in in that that curiosity and that wonder and really build from that Mm -hmm. and in letting them know that they are who they are and it is okay to be who you are and to hone in on your uniqueness and your your abilities. Sure. Is there differences in how immigrant children feel anxiety when they when they start that you know it's just in general of course yes i do definitely um particularly a lot of our refugee students who come in Mm -hmm. they have a very um understandably difficult time leaving their family members sure so i i'm drawn back to this one um boy that i had in kindergarten this was maybe about three four years ago Mm -hmm. their family moved from syria And he came into my classroom and he could not be in the classroom alone without a family member. So for Hmm. 
at least half the year, his 17-year-old brother was in the classroom oh, wow. with him. Huh. So I had a 17-year-old kindergarten <laughs> student. So it was sure. really, it, it actually, it, it turned out to be really um, beneficial for all parties because even the 17-year-old brother, he had no schooling. Mm. So he started learning the alphabet. He started learning English. Okay. Yeah, so it was really quite interesting. But definitely um, having um, that sense of wanting to feel more safe is mm-hmm. more apparent with our kids that come in. Yeah, sure. You know, and obviously I can't compare my experience as an immigrant child to someone who's a refugee. I mean, mm-hmm. those are such different experiences. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like language kind of ends up being the big divide. Yeah. And I was very fortunate that... You know, I could read and write in English when I got to kindergarten, not because I was smart, but because I had a very persistent mother. Mm-hmm. And but I but I've seen, you know, growing up in elementary school, it was the kids that could not speak or communicate in English in the same way that had a lot more trouble in terms of integrating, quote unquote. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And we still see that today. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of um, school has definitely changed. Academia has definitely changed in ways to be more inclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, however, with kids, you still s- they they want to include everybody. Mm-hmm. They want to be friends with everybody. Mm-hmm. But when you have that language barrier, it's difficult to communicate. So that's when the frustrations definitely happen. Um, and there's also a lot of different cultural differences as well, right? So sure. um, different expectations and demeanors that um, you may not see here in Canada. That's true, yeah. And we'll get into some of that. But Mm -hmm. before we go too far along in this cultural discussion, can you summarize your book for me? Yeah. So my book is about a girl named Asha. And this girl comes from an Eastern country Mm -hmm. to a Western country. And she's quite anxious to start her school life. Mm -hmm. So when she does start her school life, she notices that Things are different here. They really are. Sure, yeah. But as she progresses through her different events throughout the day, she realizes that things are also very much the same. Mm -hmm. And the core values within where she has come from and where she is now are exactly the same. Oh, okay. So she finds out that there's connection here based on uh, humanity, right, mm-hmm. on human values. Mm-hmm. And that is the essence of the book. I love that it's called Back Home and it's not called like New Home or anything mm-hmm. because it already, just in that title and in the summary that you've given me, it conveys this idea of home being this larger universal concept, not just a geographical location. Exactly. And even uh, more existential, right? Like even mm-hmm. home is where you, I mean, we hear that all the time, but really internalizing that home is where you are, where your heart is. And mm-hmm. that can be taken anywhere. Um, and there's actually a point in the story where Asha realizes that she is at home. Right. So there's a change in the narrative there. As okay. Well. Yeah. Cool. Spoiler alert, I yeah. suppose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, what was it about this experience, an immigrant child's first day at school or integrating into school, that necessitated 
a book or media like this? And what, what I mean by this question is, what did you see missing in children's literature? And basically, why did you decide to write this book? Mm-hmm. So there was definitely a few um, impromptu decisions, for sure, that I made around this. But mm-hmm. really, the foundation behind it, um, as a teacher, I as a kindergarten teacher, I read a lot of books, sure. right? So um, I, having so many more refugee students in my classroom mm-hmm. um, over the past, I would say, year or two, yeah. um, I found that they weren't connecting with much of the literature that I was reading. Oh, really? Okay. Um, because they couldn't relate to it very much, right? Mm-hmm. It was very different from the literature that they were either used to or it wasn't a mirror of their experiences. Mm-hmm. So in my search and trying to find something that would be applicable, I was left empty-handed. I didn't really find that there was very much literature around this. Okay. So I had a lot of different um stories that I had in my head um, that I was going to get published. Mm -hmm. But this one took a lot of precedence. Okay. Um, Knowing that it is important in this day and age to highlight some of the experiences that our children today are facing Mm -hmm. and also highlight the fact that there is connection amongst humanity and Mm -hmm. that you're not better than me. I'm not better than you. We are equal. Mm-hmm. So I really wanted to highlight that in terms of um, starting a foundation for it, right? And starting it with children and having that bedrock. Right. And obviously there's a universality to the message and the theme of your book. But it is interestingly enough focused on a Muslim mm-hmm. child. And I mean, I don't know if this next question really is the binary choice that that I'm I'm, I'm giving you, but you know, was nine eleven the turning point for Muslim Canadian children in school, or was it this decade's influx of refugees? I mean, obviously now that's more press. I don't think yes. most kids know what nine eleven is, yeah. well, at least at that age. But it does seem like the experience of the Muslim child in Canadian schools has been has had a lot of shockwaves yeah. to it. Yeah. No, a hundred percent definitely. And I am Muslim myself mm-hmm. and there's a recent stat that I heard that Muslims are the most hated um people in Canada. Which is so sad. <laughs> Which is very sad. And yeah. with knowing that and I have a daughter and knowing that she's gonna grow up in this world, mm-hmm. I knew that I had to kind of put a stance somewhere in um, the rhetoric around Muslims. Mm -hmm. And sadly enough, it is more difficult to um, place these messages with um, adults. So with children, they're so much more receptive and understanding and um, really contemplating these messages and moving forth with them and Mm -hmm. really... um, really understanding them, right? And mm-hmm. so I, that's why I wanted to put it into a children's book and outline the point that we are should not be hated. Right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's interesting for me because I did grow up in a somewhat liberal Muslim household, but that 
part of my identity never really became a thing until 9-11. And I was in my first week of grade 11 when 9-11 happened. And I remember even some of my friends were like, oh, wait, you're Muslim? Like, we thought you were something else. Like, uh, And they were very confused. Mm -hmm. And I, I have to say, I mean, when I was going to school, I'm very lucky to say that I didn't have any discriminatory or harassing behavior towards me because of being Muslim. Anytime I've had that in my life, it's usually based on the color of my skin as opposed to what faith I have, Mm -hmm. which is still bad. But I am very, I'm very lucky that way. But I remember after 9-11 happened, my dad asked my mom to take down some Islamic art that was visible from the window if you were in the driveway. Mm -hmm. And again, it's not that anything happened to us or our family was harassed, but it was definitely that fear that you know, now people are going to look at Muslims a lot differently where they were kind of in the background before. Mm-hmm. And it was scary. You know, we there was definitely that fear that people would question our solidarities as Canadians or as people living in a Western life because we had this religious background, which we did not connect to what we were seeing happen globally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, And I think that really perpetuated all the events that have unfolded, right, Mm -hmm. since 9-11 and um, with a lot of the attacks that happen um, in the States and how that transfers over here to Canada, right? And Mm -hmm. um, I think, like, Canadians in general, like, we're definitely intellectually more... um, tolerant i think mm-hmm. of of muslims and we of of different human different faiths in general mm-hmm. but i think really internalizing that is something different right so mm-hmm. we intellectually do accept but feeling that within your whole body and your whole soul i think is a different matter yeah and i think i mean we've covered this on on the show as well when we look at something like the burnaby south by-election, which got very ugly and nasty and through populist rhetoric and what I would actually call racist rhetoric as well, we can see in a nice suburb like Burnaby, things can really get inflamed quite quickly. Mm -hmm. And it does, I've argued on this show, I've argued on CKNW that it does require community attention, Mm -hmm. attention in terms of, you know, what do we think about each other? How do we view each other? And spreading that message of empathy and understanding mm-hmm. especially at a at a young age and that's and that's the next thing i want to ask you about because i think that this message of understanding which is you can we can call empathy and togetherness which we can call inclusion are universal values that have been communicated to children in a lot of different media including books and literature you've mentioned that there was a lot of resistance from publishers to publish this book. Mm-hmm. But even though you're essentially espousing this message, why do you think there was that resistance? I think a lot of the resistance came because the character is um, Muslim. Mm-hmm. So um, I think there's just a lot of uh, stigma that's associated with that. And publish publishing is a very different world, right? Sure. And um 
It's a beast of a world. And once you understand the little nooks and crannies, I mean, I'm not um, saying that anything that happened or any of the rejection letters aren't, um, that it shouldn't have happened. I think that they have fair reason to do so. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of it was around because of the fact that the character was Muslim. Yeah. And I guess that brings me to the next question is, aside from drawing from your own personal experience, why is it important to have a Muslim protagonist in this story? Yeah, so that's a really great question. And I went back and forth into even um, determining if um, Asha is going to wear a hijab and Mm. um, how she's going to be portrayed. Um, I settled on um, having her wear a hijab, and I Mm. actually did really good due diligence in doing so um, in talking to different members of the Muslim community as well. Okay. So you'll notice Asha, her hair is showing in under the hijab, mm-hmm. but her mom's is not. And that was um, something that came out from one of the Muslim leaders that I talked to. At, okay. at that age, it's okay for Asha to show her hair. Um, wearing the hijab is a clear indication that she is Muslim. Right. So the point that I wanted to really get across was that she is Muslim. Mm-hmm. All of the other characters in the story, her her friends that she meets, her teachers, whoever, are not Muslim, but they find this common ground. Right. And going back to children and kids and their natural proclivity to accept each other and play with each other, mm-hmm. it seems like they are much more receptive to these themes of empathy and inclusion, at least more so than a lot of adults that yeah. I've encountered. Mm-hmm. At what point do people develop or harden their prejudices or resistance yeah. towards understanding each other? So, um, seven. So seven. Yeah, that's the age? to give a to give a hard answer. Wow. Yeah. Okay. What, um, what happens seven. at seven? That's when in our brain, when you look at the brain development of a child, at seven is when the first conscious thought actually happens. Really? Yeah, it's very interesting. Hmm. So the way that I see it is that if we lay this foundation of um, acceptance and not just tolerance, but really like encompassing everybody and humanity Mm -hmm. um, and expressing our love to each other and this whole connectedness piece earlier, then we have a better chance at having that being embedded into our kids' subconscious, which will enable them to have these belief systems as they grow older that are going to be more positive rather than um, what we see today. And I guess that's similar to the idea of it's easy to learn a language from zero to five than when you get a little older, Mm -hmm. right? Should schools continue this messaging in their curriculum? Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> I feel like you're going to say yes, but yeah. can you can you make the argument for me of, you know, why this should be continually messaged as opposed yeah. to just messaged when you're... Young? Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, with the human, with our human brain, when you really look at it, it's always growing and evolving mm-hmm. and changing. And the longer that we place... Um, when you look at society and you see the, all of the media messages that come through, mm-hmm. what do you what do you see? 
We're just talking about society in general? Yeah, in society in general. What kind of messages do you see, do you hear? Oh, just everything to make me feel insecure about myself. Exactly, right? <laughs> there you go. You hit the nail right on the head. So that kind of messaging is mm-hmm. set towards our kids, right? As right. young as like two, three, four, all the way up till, till, till we're grown up. And it doesn't just stop at seven, right? Like it still continues. Right. And I think the, the more that we as educators in school put into practice um, this concept of purpose, this concept of uh, presence, and this concept of passion, mm-hmm. I think that is going to make a huge impact, right? Rather right. than, um, I mean, we all all do need to focus on academics and reading and writing. I'm of not course. saying that that's n- not, shouldn't be happening, but I think there definitely needs to be more of an emphasis now in today's world on these other concepts as well. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I don't have kids, but I'm on, to, on board with that. I mm-hmm. think we're absolutely mm-hmm. missing those, you can call them mental health tools or spiritual skills or, you know, something in that realm mm-hmm. of purpose. I mean, I think that was a good way to put yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Why is ethnic, racial, religious representation important to you? And we're and I'm sort of coming back to that question of the the protagonist being a Muslim. Mm-hmm. Why is it important? So for me, like that really goes back to like kind of what you were saying too about with your personal stories as well. Mm-hmm. So um, just to give a little bit of a background, I was uh, born in East Africa okay. and my parents had to leave um, East Africa. It was during the idiom mean regime right 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 so um, and there was a big influx of ismailis that's that were right yeah. lots of ismailis moved to canada mm-hmm. um and that was because our aga khan had um a good relationship with pierre trudeau mm-hmm. at the time and so um they welcomed ismailis in big numbers mm-hmm. um they started from scratch, my parents, and they really worked their way up to have three kids and um, success, being success, successful entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and having healthy children. Um, and I think that really um, made me realize that it started like this is like, I don't know, 30 plus years ago, right? But sure. it's still continuing today. And I think that representation was really important to put out into literature mm-hmm. and having that available for our kids to um, see and to hear. And again, it brings really down to the to the deepest, finest level of the connection amongst um, that we have, right, as, as humanity mm-hmm. and knowing that um, there are differences and there will be differences. That's what makes the world go around. Sure. But the um, connections that we have is what pulls us all together. Right. You know, I'm one of those people that believes in that there's the seven archetypes of stories. Mm-hmm. And but we keep telling the same stories to each other. And the only reason why those same stories continue to resonate, in my opinion, is when they have truth and authenticity attached to them. Mm-hmm. And whether you're consuming it as a shared experience or you're consuming it as an empathetic experience, when there is that personal connection and authenticity, so the way that you can relate your family's story to the story of your character, there is something that, that is achieved in that, mm-hmm. right? And there is something that resonates with with the reader. And 
I think when it comes to things like racial representation, being able to see yourself, especially as a child, in in media, on TV, in books, becomes very powerful. Right. And we've seen that, you know, with like the Black Panther movie and how kids were reacting to that. We've seen that even in our South Asian community and the way that people react to Jagmeet Singh yeah. running for prime minister, whether you like him or not, mm-hmm. the Im- the impact it's had on children and the way that they now see themselves, I think, yeah. becomes so important. And we are definitely pointed in the right direction and things are getting better for sure. Yeah. But I still feel that we need more of these authentic stories and they resonate across racial divides across ethnic divides. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I right after the book launched, a couple weeks later, I had a phone call from um, someone in Calgary. Mm-hmm. And he's on the board of children's literature, something, something in, okay. <laughs> in Toronto. Yeah. Um, and he told me that back home, and it really um, reflects exactly what you said, because it's both a mirror mm-hmm. And a window. Right. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So that was like an amazing compliment to hear, but I, it totally makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. And with Back Home, I know that, um, and I say this to a lot of people, I did write the story and get it published, but I can't take all the credit. I feel like these kinds of messages have been brought out mm-hmm. just throughout um, like our Aga Khan, that that shares his knowledge with us and guides us and just through our own Islamic teachings and Mm -hmm. um, really having that kind of download and putting it out, I think, is really um, the foundation and the basis of the story. Sure. And and let's touch on that. You've Mm -hmm. noted that the the book itself is a Muslim values book concept. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? Yeah. So I'll tell you exactly what it means. So when you read the book, um, have you gotten a chance to read it yet? No, no? I have not. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Again, I don't have children, so I haven't picked it up. So, so in the book, um, Asha's, um, so Asha talks about patience, okay? She talks about um the concept of sharing. She talks about the concept of um, connection. Um, she talks about the concept of um, love for each other and for humanity. Mm-hmm. So all of those concepts, and you would probably agree, are Islamic teachings, sure. right? Um, but they're also Canadian values, mm-hmm. right? Um, they're human values. Mm-hmm. And so I really wanted to make the point that there's a lot of uh, mixed messages around hum- about, about Muslim values, right? Mm-hmm. And things that we all hear, right? Mm-hmm. Muslims, what's the common one? Muslims are terrorists, right? Sure, yeah. Muslims are violent. Um, yeah. There's so much around that. And I really wanted to make the point that our value system mm-hmm is really not different from from anyone else's. It's a Canadian value system that we all um, embody. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, especially thinking about how Muslims span the globe and a lot of, you can call them stereotypes or tropes or whatever, aren't even necessarily about Muslims, but they end up being cultural tropes. They're talking about certain cultures and, and, and the way they've the way they've been and and even this idea that a general idea that someone might have that you know Islamic culture isn't 
compatible with Canadian culture. Well, you know, Islam is the religion and being Canadian is the the culture or the nationality. Mm-hmm. And they're very much compatible. They're very much right? compatible. And and I don't even know what that necessarily what that phrase means, Muslim culture, because Muslims in Pakistan will be much different than Muslims in Turkey than in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. So even just breaking down that idea that Muslims are this one monolithic group. Exactly. Yeah. And at the back of my book, I actually say that as well, okay. that um, our value systems are the same, mm-hmm. exactly the same, but our culture is different from one Muslim country to the other. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's a, definitely a really good point. We've we've spent almost half an hour talking about a lot of these ideas in the book. So I'm starting mm-hmm. to see how difficult it would be to write something like this for children. Well, yeah. Because <laughs> they're taking these very big complex philosophical spiritual ideas and distilling them into a book that it would be digestible for a child. Mm-hmm. Why else was this book so difficult for you so, right? Oh, it was very difficult to write. And mm-hmm. I write lots of different papers, a lot of um, research papers, and I can write that in like three, four days. Mm-hmm. This took almost like two years just because <laughs> you How have, many words in total? Uh, I think it was like 500. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Like that. <laughs> Not even. But um, just really, um, when you are speaking to kids mm-hmm. and you want to convey these types of messages, mm-hmm. there's a particular way of engaging them. Yeah. There's specific vocabulary that you need. I had a friend of mine who has a three-year-old and a five-year-old. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know what, Shai, your book, like Soraya was able to, she stayed with me the whole time. This is the first time that she actually stayed with me. Okay. And read the book with me from start to finish. Oh, and she's wow. never done that before because there's points in the book that um, captures kids' attention, mm-hmm. that really pulls them in. And just going back to the mirror and the window um, analogy, it has that in the book, right? Mm-hmm. So you'll see things um, in there that they can relate to. There's boys playing soccer. There's um, types of foods that you know kids really like to eat. Sure. And, um, there's talk about princess backpacks and really things that engage kids and pull them in, um, which is doesn't come so easily for us as adults. Mm-hmm. So when you're we're talking or we're writing, we just kind of write what we want and say what we want. Right. Um, and there's not so much of as much of a different lens that you look at it. Mm -hmm. But in order to get this point across to kids, you have to pull them in. Much like a kindergarten teacher, right? I Mm -hmm. mean, if you have a university professor teaching kindergarten, that's not going to (laughs) fly. Yeah, yeah. There's a specific tactic on how you need to engage the kids and pull them in. Um, And that took a lot of skill and a lot of practice and in order to help me develop that skill. Mm-hmm. And I imagine the animation plays a big role too. Like I'm thinking of a teacher uh, who teaches children. Mm-hmm. They're usually quite animated, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. in order to emphasize the points or what they're talking about, and in this case, the illustrations yes. are very important mm-hmm. to emphasize what what's happening and, and create that emotion exactly. as well. How... 
how was your direction in terms of what the, I know you yeah. didn't do the drawings or the illustrations, but how was your direction in terms of getting yeah. that feeling across? So in the book, um, so we I went through um, different illustrators, so I mm-hmm. had the option to choose. Um, and the person that I chose is Michelle Simpson. Um, and she, I went, well, through the publisher, I went back and forth mm-hmm. in order to make sure that, A, the um, characters, as I mentioned before, are applicable, they're realistic, okay, um, and that um, I'm doing my due diligence around that, but also to um, uncover, really get that sense of connection with the kids. So there's different pictures. Let's say, for example, there's a place where Asha comes in and does a math lesson. Okay. So... When kids see that specific picture, mm-hmm. they're like, oh, yeah, I do that at school. I can see that. I use those counters. I do that at 10%. Right. Like, they're so engaged because it makes sense to them. Or, yeah. oh, that looks exactly like my school. That's um, the the swing set that I use. Um, it looks the colors exactly the same. Or okay. that's how my classroom looks. So I went back and forth to make sure that there was a, a rep. A, applicable representation mm-hmm. and be that um, it would make sense to a child reading that yeah. book. I mean, that you look at a children's book. I mean, from my perspective, again, mm-hmm. I don't have children. I'm not reading children's books. Yeah. But there's so much thought put into it. There's so much thought put into it. And I say to everyone, this book, even though it's geared towards children, mm-hmm. the messages are universal. Absolutely, right? yeah. And a lot of adults really seem to be engaged in the book as well. When I had my book launch and I was reading the book, every there's about 200 people there and every single person was just glued to the story because <laughs> you can connect to it and it makes you think. Yeah. Right? I want to shift gears a little bit and I want to talk about the hijab. Mm-hmm. The the uh, Aisha character is wearing the hijab in the, in the book. When I was growing up, my mom didn't wear a uh, hijab. Most of my family members, I think all of my family family members did not wear a hijab. But this has become like a hallmark of being a Muslim, or at least being a Muslim woman, I should say. Mm-hmm. What, in your view, what does the hijab represent in Muslim culture? And what does it represent in mainstream Western culture, we can say Canadian American culture. Mm-hmm. So I think, like with Muslims, when um, we wear the hijab, it's just a form of like dainty, like just um, covering and being um, respectful of our bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, when a lot of Canadians see that, they don't really relate to that. Yeah, (laughs) Um, And I think a lot of it is like based on like, for example, I'm Muslim as well. Mm -hmm. I'm a smiley Muslim, but we don't wear hijabs at Mm -hmm. all. Um, But we still have the um, the same values with with all other Muslims. Right. Mm -hmm. And being respectful to ourselves and respectful to others. Um, But I think the covering of the hijab when. other Canadians see it, they definitely know that this person is Muslim. Yeah. Which brings back to the story of why I decided to have Asha wear the hijab. Sure. And her mom. And I think when we look at the hijab, we should also, as you've just pointed out, recognize that it is more reflective of cultural attitudes as opposed to something that's 
explicitly prescribed in the religion because yeah. it's not actually prescribed. It's, it's not explicitly prescribed. Mm -hmm. The religion talks about modesty, yeah. and that's how some cultures have interpreted it, mm -hmm. and some cultures have looked at others and say, okay, well, we're going to use that too. So it's not a universal no. thing in Islam, no. which I think that's the that's maybe one of the misconceptions that, that happen in the West, that you know, Muslim women, it means that you are way more religious if you're wearing the hijab, yeah. but that's not necessarily true because no. it's actually more of a, a reflection of culture. Yeah, exactly. Religion. Yeah, and I get asked that quite a bit at school too when um, they find out that I'm Muslim. Sure. Oh, really? You're Muslim? You don't wear a hijab and you wear a dress or whatever, <laughs> right? I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, like that doesn't mean that, you know, in our, with the smileys, this is the way that we, um, we dress and mm -hmm. that's just, and, and, Saraya down, who is an also another Muslim, wears a hijab. That's just the way that she dresses and yeah. the way that she chooses to do so. Mm -hmm. We seem to be in an increasingly divided country, culture. You have what I would describe as aggressive progressivism on, on one end, but then you also have this aggressive populism, xenophobia, anti-immigrant rhetoric on the other end. As an educator, as a PhD student yourself, how would you describe the cultural landscape in Canada in and, and the U.S.? And where's the trend right now? So I think, and I touched on this a little bit, um, I think that there's a lot of intellectual... Um, tolerance mm -hmm. and I think that in general people really want to um, accept everybody mm -hmm. right and um, you know like I, I remember on CBC they were asking asking me about um, the there's lots of people who are okay with having refugees come into Canada mm -hmm. and there's also a big camp that does not want that to happen right Right. And I think it just really highlights the point around um, the difference between this intellectual capacity to um, see these differences mm -hmm. and to understand and tolerate them, but really to feel it from the inside. Right. And to mm -hmm. intrinsically feel it, I think, is very different. Um, and the way that I see it on a ground level as an educator, so you have a lot of um, refugee students that come in and um, we're, they're promised, you know, housing, let's say, for example, sure. right? Um, but the, have you seen the housing? <laughs> no, I, no. So there's mice everywhere. Oh, no. um, there's leaky roofs. They have to move from place to place because they're getting sick. Right. And so they have to move from school to school. So, again, what does that show, right? Like intellectually, we're saying, oh, yes, you know, we're accepting. We want you to have a better life here in Canada. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the real groundwork beneath it, it changes my viewpoint a little bit. Sure. Yeah. I think one of the things that we need to do more of in Canada is have open conversations as long as they're in good faith. And I can completely understand why some people would be nervous about refugees coming to their neighborhood mm -hmm. or, you know, coming into their communities. But if as long as it's 
a fear that isn't rooted in, you know, straight up racism and they they just have a concern. That's something that we can discuss and we yes. can discuss why it's important for Canada to bring in immigrants and refugees. Mm-hmm. And we can discuss this in in a very open and candid but respectful way. I, I just see it on both sides where they're trying to either virtue signal or accuse the other side of, of being something disingenuous or whatever. And I think that actually discourages a lot of regular people from asking what I would call fair questions. Mm-hmm. And we can have an, a talk about bringing in refugees and immigration. But if you come in, as long as you come in with that good faith in having that conversation, you're open to listening mm-hmm. to both sides. Yeah, and I don't think that's happened. No, unfortunately yeah. not. Um, and I think it's time that it happens, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it would be great to have those kinds of conversations and um, kind of changing the rhetoric that's that's being placed forth so far. Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's, it's sort of like the story you told, like this Ismaili influx when they came to Canada. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, they've done very well for themselves. Yeah. I mean, we in the Muslim community look at Ismailis as a, a certain sect in that community that has done very well. Yes. So, and most people, if you live in Vancouver, you will know someone who is Ismaili. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> right? But are, you know, are we equating that refugee story with the refugee story we're seeing today? Yeah. And it is just about being open and being honest and and not judging each other for asking questions. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of that is perpetuated by um, what we've seen in the media Mm -hmm. um, today, as opposed to 30 years ago. Sure. Yeah, Mm. absolutely. What's been the feedback from the Muslim community? So, so far, the feedback has been amazing. Okay. Like, really, really good feedback. And Mm -hmm. um, a lot of them from the Muslim community, specifically Ismaili community, are mm-hmm. really um, grateful to have a book in which their kids can relate to. Sure, yeah. Um, and in the Muslim Ummah, it, really everybody is just very happy to have that as well. It's a mm-hmm. point of connection, right? And um, the value system that you see that Asha has is the same as the Canadian value system, which is a message mm-hmm. that needs to be shared. And so everybody is very happy to um, see this in a children's book. And um, and not just Muslims, um, everybody. So Yeah, well, that was going to yeah. be my next thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've, you've gained this national coverage mm-hmm. over different outlets. What are you hearing from, from people reaching out to you? So... Um, they love it. I mean, I have I've had so many libraries and um there was one person from I think she's a principal at a school saying um you know, we have a lot of different cultures in our school, LGBTQ, like whatever um we can do to help these to help all of our kids mm-hmm. is something we really want to do and having a copy of your book in our libraries would really help for everybody to see that differences are differences but there's also a commonality there right yeah so it's been really really good and um it's actually really interesting because there's concepts in the book that I guess were in my subconscious okay and I did not realize Give that me an example Okay, so a really good example was, um, so I have my Thrive Kids program that I do, mm-hmm. that I founded, and I just finished my summer camp. And through my summer camp, I didn't just have Muslims, I had like 
everybody in, in, um, across the board in, in my camp. Mm-hmm. And I was reading back home, and a lot of the kids were like, one boy, Sebastian, um, from El Salvador, he's like, oh, Asha is using visualization to help her when she's feeling scared. And so I didn't even realize that that was in the book, but okay, it was in the book. It must have been my subconscious, but he picked up on that. Oh, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. And there's also a part where um, Asha doesn't want to leave her dad. Right. To start school. So she squeezes, she does a ritual where she squeezes her hand, she looks at him, and then he looks at the teacher, and she goes to the teacher. Okay. And so a lot of my younger kids were like, wow, that's what I can do when I'm nervous to leave my mommy and start kindergarten or to go to school or wherever. So there's a lot of different connecting points that all these kids are um, picking up on in the story that was really, really interesting. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned Thrive Kids. Mm -hmm. Just briefly, what is Thrive Kids and what does it supplement in terms of what children are learning or not learning in school right now? Yeah, so um, I love teaching Mm -hmm. and I always have wanted to be a teacher ever since I was little. I was like teaching my stuffed animals. So (laughs) I've always wanted to be a teacher. Um, However, in the past few years, there's a lot of expectations that kids either feel like they need to um, get to Mm -hmm. or parents feel like kids need to get to or teachers feel like kids need to get to. And that is always revolved around academic expectations. Right, yeah. And what that leaves kids with is this feeling of not good enough mm-hmm. if they don't reach it. Yeah, sometimes this really uh, boils my blood, but I, I even know of a three-year-old, four-year-old, she didn't get into a preschool. <laughs> like, what? Exactly. <laughs> okay. So... For whatever reason, um, I guess it was a private school or whatever, but um, she didn't get in because she was just being herself. Yeah. And that just made me think what our society is just um, putting all these expectations on kids and not letting kids be who they are. Mm -hmm. And when you look at kids that are older, what do you see in the news these days? There's a, the suicide rates are skyrocketing, mm-hmm. and depression, and mental exactly. well, me, mental wellness issues. I yes, should say. exactly. Um, and I think it's just embodying our whole society. Mm-hmm. And even though I would love to teach the skills that I teach and thrive kids at school, there's not a lot of room for it. And that's nobody's fault. It's just the way the structure is, mm-hmm. right? And sure. um, we have to teach the curriculum. And I do. Mm -hmm. And so I created Thrive Kids to help um, solve this problem that I saw in schools Mm -hmm. in which we weren't having the opportunity as much to teach on mindfulness, to teach um, purpose, to to own in your own uniqueness, um, specific skills that help kids in their daily lives today, but not just today. These skills are going to help them throughout their lives. I mean, they're skills that I wish I had when I was younger. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what Thrive Kids does. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I think we're seeing this almost renaissance of appreciating what would have been in the past, like mushy 
Eastern philosophy ideas in terms of mindfulness mm-hmm. in a lot of different areas. Mm-hmm. And you're right, I think, and, and we're, we've kind of come full circle from where we started the podcast, but this idea that kids are just bombarded with messages about how they're not good enough mm-hmm. and what the ideal standard of good or excellent or satisfactory is. And now, especially that our media is all consuming with the internet and your phones and everything else, there's no even break from that during the day. It's almost like you're just getting it all the time. And adults are the same way, right? We're always bombarded with these messages where mm-hmm. 100 years ago, this was not the case. Yeah. So that practice, I think we we are starting to realize has to catch up to this technological world that we live in. Because I don't necessarily think unplugging is a viable option, but I think how we adapt to what we see in the media and how we are critical of what we see in the media does become an important practice into adulthood. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think that that leads to a lot of our limiting belief systems. Absolutely. Yeah. And that leads to our kids limiting belief systems. Mm-hmm. So I think the earlier that we can target these and have these skills and quite frankly, a lot of the times I do these classes, what I hear nine out of 10 times from parents is, I wish you could teach this to me. <laughs> like, let's, have a, <laughs> let's have like a class together. So now I do. I do it with um, both the child and the parents. Oh, so that's so they cool. can learn it all together. Yeah. Um, but we need these types of skills in today's world, a hundred percent, in order to um, not only just to be successful, because that's one thing, being mm-hmm. successful, but really feeling successful is another thing. Yeah, and that's just it. I mean, you, we're almost caught in this cycle where even when you achieve your goal, there becomes this emptiness because you yes. the, you, you can't stop. You, you can't always stop. have to be exactly. you know on your game and and getting to that next level, whatever yeah. that is. Yeah, so. you keep moving that goalpost, Exactly. Right? keep going and um, just stopping and appreciating what you truly have mm-hmm. will really help you to get to that next step. Mm-hmm. And just appreciating the journey along the way. Yeah, right? oh, yeah 100%. Mm-hmm. How do people follow you and, and Thrive Kids and where do they get the book? Where do they find out more? Yeah, so the book um, is available um through Amazon, mm-hmm. um, through chapters, through kids' books. Okay. Um, it's also, um, there's also a link on my website, which is thrivekidsbc.ca. Okay. Um, and they can follow me on Facebook. It's Thrive Kids BC and Instagram um, and Twitter as well at Thrive Kids BC. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for being here. And congratulations on the wonderful book. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It was my pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, her children's book, Back Home, is now available. She's the founder of Thrive Kids BC. She is the very sweet Shaista Kaba Fatali. And I am Mo Amir, telling you that in a city where you can be anything, be colorful. Peace. <laughs>